Fresno County Supervisor Steve Brandau. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the tragedy last week in Texas. Our goal tonight is to come up with some solutions. Of course, everybody has their own individual concepts of what solutions look like. We'll, I'm sure that they'll be thoroughly discussed tonight. Every single person on our panel will probably have a different take, and it's up to you to decide uh, what you believe as far as solutions. We want to stop these tragedies. And that's the goal for the conversation. This conversation really has not died down in the week since the tragedy. On almost any news broadcast tonight, you're going to hear people still talking about this. And around water coolers across the country, uh, people want their children to be safe when they are at school. We've got a number of experts tonight, but we've also got all of our Facebook Live followers. If you're following on Facebook Live and you have a comment or question, we'll try and pick that up and uh, connect it into the show. Um, but we're going to have to get through a lot tonight. We've got four great panelists with us tonight. And um, first, I want to say that we've got uh, uh, Councilman Miguel Arias. Uh, Miguel is also a former PIO for Fresno Unified. He's had his hand in the world of, uh, of the school systems for many years and now serves at Fresno City Hall. Uh, his colleague, Gary Bredefeld, also a council member and a former, well, I guess I should say retired psychologist. So. Gary's uh, dealt with a lot of people in uh, unstable and tragic uh, times during their life, and he'll probably have a lot to add there. Uh, then we have Dr. Stephen Brock of Sacramento State University's psychology department, and I think he really heads up that department. We're going to have a more thorough um, um, understanding of his role in a few minutes as he comes onto the program, and I'll, I'll probably have Darius reintroduce him. Locally, we have Susan Wittrip. She's a 37-year veteran of our local school system. She's a school psychologist. She also deals with a lot of students during times of tragedy. These things happen from time to time and they don't just always affect the location like in Texas. A lot of times students across the country um, um, have crisis uh, once they see students suffering around um, our nation. Uh, Susan is also running for um, to become a trustee for the school board. And so it'll be very interesting to hear from her in a few minutes. Of course, always glad to have my co-host on, uh, Darius Asimi with us tonight, a local developer and founder of GV Wire. And uh, we normally have Mike Carbasi, a Fresno City Councilman. He may or may not be joining us. He's in a real um, busy time of life right now. And so he may or may not be with us tonight. But we do wanna get started tonight because we have a lot to get through. And I'd like to start with Miguel Arias. Um, well, Actually, before I go to Miguel, Darius, let me set this up a little bit because you've told us for, for many years now that you can't stand it when people say our thoughts and prayers are with you. And a lot of that has been said in the last week. And long before this particular tragedy, you've told me, Steve, I'm so tired of hearing that phrase. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, Darius. Where, what makes you say that? Uh uh, good point, Steve. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I am tired of hearing people say, uh, "Hey, my thoughts and prayers are you are with you." That typically signals we're not interested in solving the problem, uh, whether it's a gun gun issue, violence issue in our country, whether it's a Palestinian-Israeli issue, or any of the conflict in the world. Uh, we we don't see, see that many thoughts and prayers for Ukrainians. Uh, we, we're sending forty billion dollars worth of arms to them. We're trying to solve the problem. By the way, if we gave some of their own nukes back to them, I don't think Putin will be doing any more aggressive work in Ukraine. But let me also say this. 
uh, I'm a very strong Second Amendment uh, believer uh, in, in our in our country. Uh, I'm an immigrant from Iran. You know this. Most of you uh, uh, on this show know that. Uh, if I if Iranians could uh, carry weapons in, in Iran, this uh, uh, regime, which is a which is a bunch of tyrants, uh, would not be uh, would not be in power. So, so let me get that out of the way right out of, out of the gate. Uh, I also believe that, uh, let me also say, schools in Iran and throughout the Middle East, where I, I grew up in Iran until I was 17, all schools are fenced and protected. Uh, not against, I mean, there's nobody carries guns in Iran, but, they, uh, but they're concerned about people coming in, kidnapping, molesting kids, any number of those issues. So yeah, you want to get on a school campus, you have to go through a, a gate. Um, and, and here, we do protect a lot of institutions. We protect our airports and our courthouses, but but, but not our schools. I'm really interested in hearing from our uh, panelists, uh, especially our psychologists, uh, on what their thoughts are on, on protecting our, our, our school grounds. And really, uh, finally, uh, should a 18-year-old, uh, again, I'm a very strong Second Amendment. I own guns myself. But should an 18-year-old be able to carry, a buy and, and purchase an Armalite rifle 15. Uh, you know, that, that's a question that I also want to pose to our panelists when, when we get there. Um, so with that, let me turn it back over to you. Yeah, thanks, Darius. And we already have uh, uh, Pastor uh, Anthony Flores on Facebook Live is saying, so thoughts and prayers are not good. We prefer judgments and negative thoughts. Uh, no, Pastor, so that, Pastor, that's certainly not the case. Um, no, at church, oh, hang on, Darius. At church this last weekend, uh, the body that I attend certainly prayed, and I do believe in prayers. But I think a lot of times when we say that, Pastor, we don't really mean it. Uh, certainly, some people like yourself will be praying diligently. But a lot of a lot of times around the water cooler or on on social media, we say thoughts and prayers. And quite frankly, I don't think there's probably at the end of the day a lot of reality behind that. It's it's kind of a, an excuse for non-activity. So we do we do here at GB Wire um, believe in thoughts and prayers. But if that's our only response, you know, is are are we meeting uh, the demand of the day? And and with that, I'd like to shift let, to. Uh, let me. I, I got to respond to to Pastor uh, Flora. I also believe in God and in and the power of the prayer. Uh, but also God gave us uh, free will and a brain to do something about it. Uh, if, you want, uh, if you want some objective results, go do something about that. Anyhow, let me turn it Okay, back. right on, Darius. Okay. I want to shift to um, Miguel. Miguel, really segueing in on this thoughts and prayers thing. Last week, you tweeted out um, a pretty strong opinion tweet. I'm just going to read it. I don't have it memorized. Um, last week, to quote... Where are the pro-life leaders when elementary kids are being murdered in another mass shooting? And by the way, you had a photo of a pro-life rally here locally. All we get from the, the right uh, to life folks and the GOP are more prayers and excuses for inaction. Then you call out a couple of uh, community leaders, some mayors and some of your colleagues, save the prayers and the BS, Gary, Jim, Alan, Diane, Jerry, and Joseph, and I don't even know all these people, Miguel, but I'm sure there's a couple of former mayors in there and a current mayor. That is, that is a list that includes these folks, and it, and it also includes Gary Bredefeld, uh, and I'm going to ask him to respond in a moment, but 
But Miguel, what were you, you know, you had this, a jab, you had a jab at, at the GOP, you had a jab at pro-lifers, but underneath your jab, there seems to be a, a decent thought that, that the prayers are not enough and you would prefer to see action. So tell us about why you wanted to tweet that. So, so Steve, yeah. let me start off with this to answer the Pastor Flores' comment. If thoughts and prayers were enough for Pastor Flores, he wouldn't hire a lawyer into the city. At some point, we need action. And we need action in the legislative and the courtrooms to result into the outcome that we want. So thoughts and prayers are not sufficient for uh, an outcome that people want. And my frustration and anger, quite frankly, is that Republicans, now being very explicit, because the Republicans have allowed guns to become the leading cause of death for children in our country, surpassing auto accidents. It's the number one death for adults too. Assault weapons that were used in all these mass shootings were obtained legally, legally, in most, if not all these cases. And quite frankly, the hypocrisy of Republican and some Christian leaders you know, when my body, my decision wasn't good enough of a principle for Christian leaders when it came to what a woman should do with her uterus. Fair. When COVID came along, Christian leaders insisted on indoor service, although it exposed their flock to a deadly virus. When the Republicans were asked about ma vaccine mandates, they said, my body, my decision principle is the right one. When immigrants have children in the United States, Republicans started to challenge the, you know, calling them anchor babies and challenging the law, the constitution that allows somebody to become an American when they're born in the US. When massacres have occurred using these tools designed for war, assault weapons, all they tend to offer is thoughts and prayers for the immediate, hoping that the next crisis will take, absorb all the oxygen in the room and we never get to an actual conversation on solutions. And for me, the loss of life, whether it's in the uterus, whether it's born or not, is not a political issue. It's a moral one. So, yes, I am frustrated with some Christian leaders who are quick to have a press conference about a woman's uterus, but are silent, deafening silent, when it comes to kindergarten kids, first <laughs> and second, third graders being massacred inside of a school. And quite okay. frankly, imagine Steve if we told residents about crime rising or the housing, the homeless crisis increasing, if we as civic leaders would respond with, my thoughts and prayers are with you, Darius, on getting that housing project developed. My thoughts and prayers are with you when you get your Cadillac converter stolen resident. Thoughts and prayers are simply a way of saying, I choose to not hear you and not act on your concerns. And that's frustrating. No, and look, <clears throat> I agree with a good chunk of that. <clears throat> but Gary, uh, as a council member that was listed in this group of community leaders <clears throat> in this tweet, uh, you're basically being called a hypocrite as if you don't care for these tragic shootings. What is your response to Miguel? Well, let me read you my response in my tweet since you read his tweet. My tweet in response to his was typical leftist attack. Evil lunatic commits horrific crime, murdering children, and soft on crime pro-criminal politician, Arius, attacks those of us opposed to murdering unborn children. We grieve over these children, their senseless loss, and pray for them and their families. So there's a lot to unpack in terms of what Miguel says. He, he, you know, he brings in abortion. He talks about prayer. Uh, the bottom line is uh, we have people who commit these horrendous crimes. 
And what the left wants to do when these incidents happen is they want to say gun control, gun control, because the real agenda is about control, taking away your guns like we see in Canada. They ultimately want to take away guns. And he refers to assault rifles. I'm not sure that many on the left even understand what an assault rifle is. What is being used are semi-automatic handguns or rifles. These are not assault weapons. Assault weapons are actually used in the military. They're uh, automatic weapons, not semi-automatic weapons. So they use this to scare people. They don't like the AR-15 because it's an evil looking gun, but it's a semi-automatic. You pull the trigger once and there's a bullet. And the bottom line is these people want to take away your weapons. The fact is the constitution guarantees through the second amendment that the leftists and the radicals and the people who want to control people don't get to take your guns because citizens rights to protect, to have guns is their sole means of protection against criminals as well as a, a government that is out of control. And we've seen historically what happens when people give up their guns. Usually there's death, usually their own death. And we've seen that whether it is Germany or other countries that have taken away citizens' rights to guns. The bottom line is if you wanna make children safe, you harden the target, just like we do with banks, just like we do with uh, certain politicians who wanna take away everyone's guns. And uh, uh, Darius said exactly uh, my point when he said that if Ukrainians had nuclear weapons, Putin wouldn't have uh, invaded. If Iranians had guns, they probably wouldn't have that regime. And if there weren't gun-free zones for around kids, there wouldn't be lunatics coming in with having the only gun in the place. So if you really want to make children safe, you need to provide them the protection. Instead of sending $40 million, billion to Ukraine to make them safe, we could have hardened every target, every school throughout this entire country. And that's what we really need to be doing. And, and, well, and I've heard that in several articles, Gary, M Miguel, coming right back to you. But Gary, that is a common uh, solution. I'm glad you brought it up tonight. I I'll be looking forward to seeing what our school psychologists uh, think about that concept of hardening the target in a few moments. Miguel, I asked you, you know, this tough tweet that you threw out there. It seems to me like you do have some thought behind it. It's not just an attack. What are the solutions that you offer um, to these school shootings? So, so, so first, let me re respond to Gary's points. He, he forgets, he, he alludes the point that we have the strongest military in the world. Defending the United States from a foreign country is not going to rely on me and Gary having an AR-15. We have the strongest military in the world. We regulate arms on a daily basis. That's why I cannot walk around with the bazooka. We have a right to Second Amendment. I am a gun carrying Second Amendment gentleman, but I don't get to walk around with the bazooka and I don't get to walk into any public facility that I want to. There is a place for regulating. Now, when it comes to solutions, the challenge I have with some of those solutions of hardening is that their solution is to turn our schools essentially into prisons, uh, armed guards, right? Single point of entry. Uh, how many of you in this call have an elementary kid? I do. Elementary kids, uh, schools are meant for folks to learn. They're not in a, tr in a prison setting. Secondly, we've just seen from these incidents that having one or two officers on site cannot defend dozens of kids from being murdered to a point of not being recognized when you're carrying around an AR-15 and you go into it. And, and talk about solutions. 
we 85% of the country agrees on universal background checks, except for Republicans. 75% of the country agrees on red flag you know, laws. As a matter of fact, Santa Clara County just declared that it has saved hundreds of lives and that more than 200 restraining orders have been issued this past year on folks who are mentally unstable, but yet have weapons. They go to the judge, they have the weapons taken away. Two weeks later, you can apply to get your weapons back. Uh, banning the assault weapons. When the assault weapons ban was in place, it saved lives. Since it got lifted and expired, the shootings, mass shootings have tripled around the country. We need to have a ban on assault weapons. Those are meant for military, not for civilian use. Fourth, we have to eliminate immunity for the manufacturers. Uh, drug companies don't have immunity to their product, neither does McDonald's. And lastly, if we're gonna talk about mental health, then fund it. But the governor of Texas defunded mental health. The city of Fresno does not put one penny into mental health. The county of Fresno doesn't put any general funds into mental health. So the solution of deflecting with mental health has not been backed up with actual investments into mental health. It's just one more soundbite to not do anything. All right, Gary, uh, we're gonna let you respond if you want, and then we're gonna move to our other guests. Yeah, the bottom line is all of this is to take away your guns and to regulate so that you can't have a gun if you're a law-abiding citizen. Biden today, uh, uh, this mash, mash for brains tyrant said that nine millimeter guns should be removed. People shouldn't have nine millimeter guns. That's what the president of the United States just said tonight. And the fact is, if you have hard, hardened these targets to school, if you have somebody who's carrying a weapon, a police officer, a student resource officer, that's not going to make it an armed camp. It's just going to make it a, a, a place where if something happens, you have somebody who can respond. And this ban on assault weapons, these are not assault weapons. The people on the left need to understand what assault weapons are, not ugly, scary looking weapons like the AR-15, but true assault weapons are used in the military. People are not walking around with automatic weapons. And when we talk about getting serious, California just passed a law, the Democrats in California, that if somebody threatens a school, they don't have to be reported to the authorities in the name of equity. So this is the insanity that goes on on the left. If we really want to make our community safe, we need to strengthen the, the laws, uh, strengthen criminal laws, not allow people who commit crimes to be released like we do in the state of California. Uh, the people who are creating the crisis are the very ones who want to take your guns, which are people on the left. And that's the fact. They want to take your guns. Biden just said tonight that the Second Amendment isn't absolute. Well, I got news for him. It is. You are not to infringe upon the Second Amendment rights. That's what the Constitution says. So that's the bottom line. They want to do what Canada just did, which is disarm the society. And I got news for them. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be disarmed, and neither is the rest of the country. And that's what their gun control is all about, and that's what it's been about for decades. All right. So really, we've already got the conversation started. We're going to build on this throughout the program. I want to thank Gary and Miguel for addressing this tweet. They're certainly welcome to stay around and engage, and if they Is have he, more thoughts. Yes, Miguel. Can I ask Gary, do you, do you insist on an 18-year-old being able to carry an AR-15 with hundreds Absolutely. of ammunition? Absolutely. An 18-year-old can uh, go into the military, risk his life, uh, and they get trained to uh, take someone else's life. Uh, they should be able to purchase a gun. Most people 
are law-abiding citizens. The fact is you have crazy people and lunatics and sociopaths who commit these crimes. And Miguel, I'm not saying that we can't find common ground with when there are red flags. Like this guy had red flags. He put out on social media that he was gonna do this. And also we had law enforcement who failed miserably those children, failed miserably. And, and, and Gary, would you agree that at 21 in Texas, you have to be 21 to be able to buy alcohol. In order to get a license in Texas, you have to take multiple tests, pass background checks, and uh, do you agree that we should have that same level of standard for a driver's license and buying booze as you would for carrying an AR-15? Again, Miguel, you keep talking about this AR-15, the evil weapon that looks ugly. It's the same as the handgun that you may carry concealed. It's one trigger, one bullet. I know it's a scary gun, Miguel, but I encourage you to take a look and go fire it. It's no different than the weapon you would carry yeah. And, and I recognize that, uh, Gary, but an AR-15 has been used in Texas, Buffalo, Boulder, Colorado, Orlando, Parkland, Las Vegas, Colorado, Sandy Hook, the Waffle House, the grocery store, the yeah. church. It's, it's a, a common gun. denominator. It's a popular gun. In the meantime, For mass shootings. In, in all kinds of shootings. In the meantime, in Chicago, 40 people are killed every weekend, and they have the best restricted gun laws in the entire country. And every weekend, People are murdered and killed. Law-abiding citizens follow the law. Criminals don't. And if you uh, take away guns, you'll only take away from law-abiding citizens, not the criminals. The criminals will never listen to you or any other politician. They're always going to have the guns. And everybody who's law-abiding, including you, should have a right to protect yourself and your family. And when so your child is yeah. in school, I want him to be safe. So, so Gary, you're still going on the premise that a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy. But the FBI study demonstrates that in, in less than 3% of the mass shootings where they stopped by somebody with a gun, whether it was a police officer or a civilian. I mean, that just isn't, there isn't evidence to demonstrate that more people with guns will stop mass shootings from occurring when AR-15s are available to 18-year-olds. Not true. Uh, we saw it in a church when a guy started killing people and a man pulled a gun and killed him. We just saw it this weekend, though it wasn't highlighted in the media, Miguel, that a woman pulled her gun when somebody started shooting and killing people uh, across the country. That wasn't reported in the media because it doesn't fit their narrative. So but we just is, saw in Texas 19 officers with guns. Yeah, they failed. Dozens of kids were murdered. They failed. They hey, I'm going to I'm gonna jump in right here, gentlemen. Look, I totally appreciate it. I think, I think a lot of the country is talking about the guns component of this crisis, okay? So I do think it's a valid thing. But We've also got some other experts. I'm going to be interested to hear their take on that. Um, I personally believe that guns are not even close to the uh, real problem, the underlying issues of this crisis. Um, I was just going to pro-offer a few um, um, things that I've seen in, in my life. Uh, back in the day, before my time, they used to teach gun safety in school. During my time, when I was going to high school, you could easily see people coming in with a pickup truck and you'd have a gun in the window. We didn't have those type of crimes then. So it's it's not always, in my opinion, it's not connected to the gun. Something's got gone bad wrong in our society. And it's those things I hope that we can discover. Now, the debate about guns certainly needs to be had. I, I have a tendency to agree with Councilman Bredefeld on that. I own an AR-15, I own a deer rifle. In all reality, the mechanisms are very similar. So I do agree with those concepts and I understand that. 
Uh, Miguel, the only thing that I would say is at this point, uh, you're, the Democrats, it's, you know, it's really tough for me to sit back and hear you just blame the Republicans because quite frankly, um, the Democrats are in charge of both houses of Congress and they have the presidency. And so I think that there's a lot of Democrats hiding behind the fact that Republicans are tend to be more pro-gun, but quite frankly, they haven't got much accomplished themselves when in power. But look, uh, but, but, but Steve, let, let's also be clear. Uh, gun reform has passed the House of Representatives. It's stuck at the Senate where Republicans uh, refuse to participate or allow a vote to take place. They're filibustering, right? Republicans were in charge of the House, the Senate, and the presidency for eight years or, or, or close to that. So there is enough blame on both sides of the party. There's people at my party that wanted to focus on defunding the police, and the Democrats moderates said, yeah, we're not doing that. We'll reform police, but we're not going to defund it. I'm still waiting for the moderate Reagan Democrats to come out of the woodwork and take their party back from extreme Republicans that won't even allow one vote to take place on the Senate floor. Okay, so so I'm glad at least you just said there's enough blame to go around on both parties, because in my opinion, the solution here is probably not going to happen because of government. The solution's probably going to be because American people take their schools, their children, and their community much more seriously. And I think that uh, government uh, probably will muddle things up rather than make it better. But Darius, we've got some other uh, special um, professional guests on tonight. And I'd love for you, if you have any comment on this part of it, Darius, if not, please introduce our other guests and let's continue the conversation on solutions. You got it. And I want both council members to stay on because uh, at the end, we're going to get everybody on uh, uh, for some final thoughts on what the solutions should look like. Let me just interject for, for one minute. Uh, we, we, we almost will never have defense spending cuts. I've talked about this many times uh, on this show. Uh, if you have eight, you have an over eight hundred billion dollar uh, defense budget, uh, and, and if we have, which is uh, larger than the next eight or nine countries combined, and we're not going, no American, and I shouldn't say no, our government is not interested in reducing whether it's Democrat or Republican, because the defense contractors have manufacturing in all fifty states, so it's a, it's a lot about uh, it's a lot about jobs. So we have to just follow the dollars on that. Uh, <clears throat> same thing happens with with guns. The, uh, again, I'm a strong Second Amendment uh, supporter. Um, there's lots of dollars, that, and the gun lobby is uh, is exceptionally uh, powerful. So, uh, again, thoughts and prayers are important. But when we come when, when we talk about solutions, we have a lot of brilliant people in our country. Uh, sometimes I think I think about the amount of money the U.S. taxpayers spent on Afghanistan and Iraq, which is about eight trillion dollars. Um, and but we 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 spend those dollars because we created so much chaos in, in both countries. In my opinion, we could have uh, spent a substantially less amount of money, and then got into a peaceful solution in in both of those uh, countries. Uh, now let me introduce uh, our next guest. I have my own thoughts on on where the solutions should be, but I'm going to uh, introduce our next uh, guest, Dr. Stephen Brock, professor uh, and school psychology program co- coordinator at Sacramento State. Uh, university. Uh, uh, he's written uh, many, many books, uh, including um, one of his most recent books, which is called School Crisis Prevention and, Intervent- and, and Intervention, the Prepare Model. 
he's also uh, written uh, books about autism, uh, identifying, assessing, and treating bipolar disorder at schools, um, best practices in school crisis prevention and intervention. So uh, welcome Dr. Stephen Brock uh, to GVWire Unfiltered, and also uh, Susan Wittrup, a school psychologist uh, here in town for, uh, and, and somebody that's been in education for over 36 years and a candidate for a school, this, a school board, board of trustees uh, here right here in our own backyard. Welcome to the show. Uh, let me start with uh, Dr. Brock. Uh, you've heard the, the, the debate tonight I'm sure you've seen all the, uh, the the news clips. What's happened? Mass shootings across the country. We're you know gun-loving uh, folks. Is it the AR-15? Is it that's an issue? Is it the the, the kid that's an issue? Is it the school campus safety that's an issue? Uh, is it gun control? Uh, do you what are your thoughts on the Canadian model of? Uh, basically asking everybody to turn their guns back in. By the way, that's the same thing that happened uh, after the Iranian revolution. Uh, the government asked all citizens to, to turn their guns back into government. So uh, with that, uh, those series of questions, uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Brock. Well, welcome and thank you for having me. Um, I think to, um, let me do something a little bit different to approach the, the question you've asked about school safety. Let me ask the board members. Are schools safer today than they were in the 1990s? Yes or no? Are they safer today than they were in the 1990s? Real quick answers, Miguel and Gary, he's talking to you. Yeah. Oh. No, Gary says, how about you, Miguel? Yes. Okay. Yeah, um, by all objective measures, with the exception of one, schools are safer today than they were in the 1990s. If you take a look at um, um, the Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance Study, a biannual, survey of ninth through 12th graders in the United States, as well as another federal surveillance document, indicators of school crime and safety. What you will find is a pretty consistent and significant decline in most measures of school violence. Um, my good friend and colleague, Dewey Cornell from the University of Virginia, who's world renowned for his work in threat assessment, behavior management and threat assessment asserts that the school is school the secret of school safety is schools are safe now I, I before facebook live goes crazy let me acknowledge that i totally get that words like these ring hollow in moments like this quite frankly gang i've been doing this for 40 years and i'm sick and tired of it i'm sick and tired of this my fellow educators, like Susan, have done an amazing job since the 1990s of making schools safe. And by all objective measures, they are safer today than they were in years past. The one thing that hasn't changed, and there's no two ways about it, that's increased, have been these horrible incidents of mass violence perpetrated by weapons that have incredible power. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen what an AR, which by the way stands for Armalite rifle, can do, but the damage it does to a body 
I mean, even as a young school psychologist, I remember responding to one of these scenes where an AR-style AR rifle had been utilized. The bullet didn't need to hit the child to do damage. The bullet just needed to hit the tarmac. The tarmac did damage. So that's my, my point. The secret of school safety is that schools are safe. The one thing that's the measures that my colleagues like Susan um, really can't, th th there's nothing we can do against an 18 year old with a semi-automatic rifle. And, and quite frankly, I don't know where in the constitution in order to maintain a rel regulated militia that somehow it infringes on individual rights to say, yeah, I think we should probably wait until at least age 21 before a person is able to access a weapon of mass destruction. I mean, heck, look, if you have parents, if you're parents and you have children and they drive, what happened to your insurance rates when your children turned 25? You want me to tell you what happened? They went down. Do you know why they went down? They went down because at about age 25, the frontal lobes, the part of the brain that exerts executive function and thinks rationally and carefully and deliberately is fully mature. The insurance companies knew this long before science documented the fact that frontal lobes don't mature until age 25. And so they made us pay more. Why? Because frontal lobes weren't fully mature. Anyway, I've gone on. Uh, I'm sorry. It's been a long week for me. I know got a little emotional. Can I, can I ask something? Uh, hold on one second, Gary. We're going to come back to you, Dr. Brock. Don't go away. I, I want to hear from Susan uh, and what her perspective is. But uh, Gary, you had a quick question. Well, I just had a comment. I, I, you know, uh, the good doctor says um, it's safer. I'd love to know the, the the metrics on it's safer. But when you mentioned weapon of mass destruction, of course, you're talking about the AR-15 and what it does to a body. Is it is it really much different than if I take a 45 and shoot somebody that the, the body isn't torn apart or a nine millimeter? Again, you're calling it a weapon of mass destruction. How is it any different than a, a 45 or a nine millimeter? I think most people wouldn't argue a difference if you're shooting a body with a 45 or a nine millimeter or an AR-15. And I think what you're suggesting then, since you're calling it a weapon of mass destruction that the AR-15, what, should be banned? Yeah, I, I'm suggesting common sense gun control measures. We don't have that now? You don't think there's no common sense gun control measures? There's not enough gun No, we do not have that oh, now. Okay. Fine. The fact that an 18, a, a, a child, that child years old, no, hold on, hold on. The fact that a child who just turned 18 years old can walk into a gun store and purpose purchase a rifle that in a matter of minutes killed young children. Right. Blows me away. Of course. In so this one, country, one, we, one, how many? Let me ask you something. How many eighteen-year-olds are there in the United States of America that have done what this lunatic did? So, because of this one lunatic, fortunately, fortunately right. it's very rare. Right. But again, because, I of, this, because of this one lunatic, you want to disarm our society, 
And I would suggest I, that the problem isn't. I did did I say disarm this society? Well, did he I, said yeah. weapon of mass destruction. I 18 said year olds, 18 year olds shouldn't have these guns, but I you don't that. mind. But you don't mind. Is there anything in that that says disarm society? You don't mind putting an 18 year old putting on a military uniform, being handed a gun and defending your life. That's okay. But in a civil society, he should not be able to purchase a gun because of this one lunatic. But but, but Gary, wouldn't you agree that an 18 year old who's in the military has received extensive training? background checks, psychological assessments, I would also before argue, he's given you know, an AR-15. I would also argue that there are million, millions of 18-year-olds in this country who have the proper parenting, who uh, are trained uh, on weapons throughout this society, throughout the course of time, where we don't have this kind of thing. And I think the problem isn't a gun. The problem is something going on in our society that devalues life and has devalued life. And frankly, we could go into when abortion started, where it's okay to kill unborn babies and that devalues life. But that's but Gary, our, our society is no different than any other foreign country. And only we have a pandemic of mass shootings. No, we wouldn't have any more mental health issues or poverty than in Europe does or Germany or Canada. But we, yet we have a pandemic of mass shootings. I don't think we have a pandemic of mass shootings. We have mass shootings, they have occurred. And they are covered I'm gonna, wide as soon as we, they occur. Okay, we need to, we, we need to get back on track. Uh, Dr. Brock, uh, on this debate, you have the last word. Don't go away. You have the last word, uh, 30 seconds or less before I get uh, to Susan. I just want to hear from Susan. <laughs> okay, uh, Susan Whitrup, 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 school psychologist. Uh, uh, tell us your feedback. What are some of the solutions uh, on how to address school shootings? Well, I'd like to talk about one thing that's going on now in Fresno Unified that um, we can be really proud of. And Dr. Brock, um, you're part of the reason this is happening because we've attended your training. Our school psychologists have attended your trainings. And um, we have a crisis team of school psychologists who for the last 30 years respond when there's a school crisis, when there's a tragedy and have been studying this and are very skilled with behavioral risk assessments, threat assessments. And um, that's one thing where I think that we're really doing well and we can sharpen those skills as we go. But a lot of um, these kinds of incidents have been prevented. You'll never hear about them in Fresno because they were prevented in that we were able to determine which of those threats actually posed a danger and which of them were really not substantial. And they, we did other things with those. So um, I'm hanging on to that. Um, and that's a very positive thing. Um, with every school shooting tragedy though, it rocks our nation. And if we don't take intelligent actions as a community to um, make our schools safe, safer, um, or to avoid these kinds of incidents, it's on us because the research is there about what to do. Um, and part of it is hardening the targets, having a secure perimeter. Um, that would be something we could do right away, actually, because that's not happening. And I can give you some examples. Um, I'm also interested in, I just read a recent poll from Fresno Teachers Association 
um, of Fresno teachers, and where 81% of our teachers who responded to that poll said they need a refresher on active shooter response procedures. And about half of the teachers are completely unaware of procedures for active shooter lockdowns and school safety plans. So we have to go farther than simply writing up plans that don't translate into action. And we need to practice and develop some muscle memory, if you will, about what to do to prevent danger when we are faced with a, a crisis situation like that. Susan, what was the uh, poll results? I think we have it. You may have it. And we could probably put it up in a minute or two. Uh, do, you, do you have the poll results? No, I don't, but Facebook um, has them on the FTA Facebook site. They have the results. Okay. Okay, great. Um, anything else on solutions from Susan? I can, I can give you some of the solutions that, um, that FTA is recommending um, based on the survey and teacher feedback. And I don't think these will offend either a Republican or a Democrat, actually. They're just good, solid um, recommendations. That is to communicate school safety plan policies, including active shooter response procedures to all employees. Um, District-wide staff communication policies for school incidents, lockdown, incident lockdowns and nearby police activity. Um, all schools should have a secure perimeter and a single entry point for visitors. Each school site has an appropriate campus security, which is district funded. Um, install forced entry deterrent systems in, in all classrooms and office doors and install emergency response alerts for our blind and deaf students um, are just a few of the recommendations that came from that Got in it. Fresno Unified. Let me go to Steve for a minute. Um, Steve, you had a couple of thoughts on solutions. Well, really, I, I have a, a follow-up question to both uh, Dr. Brock and Susan as well. And uh, during the last couple of days, Darius, I've read, you know, there's some folks that think that arming teachers uh, is a solution. You know, I'm not, I'm personally not against it. And those that want to be armed, I think probably have that right and should probably be allowed to do that. But going out and trying to arm teachers who are resistant to that, I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's a great idea. But I wanted to bounce it off Dr. Brock and Susan. You probably heard this over the years. It's not something that's brand new, but I've heard it again in the last couple of days. Do you think uh, there should be a serious effort to arm teachers? No. Dr. Brock, Dr. Brock, that's question is for you. Do you think- uh, I would say no. So should teachers be armed? Uh, Susan is saying no. Uh, that's that's uh, Steve's question. Yeah, I, I am saying no as well. Darius, let me just point out the, the shortcoming of that, even that question. <laughs> For a year, two years now, some have not trusted teachers with a history book or a biology book. No sex ed, no critical race theory. And now you want to give them a handgun? For God's sake, let, let teachers be teachers. They're, they're not and all to be all they're not security guards they're not, they're not mental health practitioners let them do their craft and teach okay uh good point anything else from uh, steve uh, no that was just a question okay. and and i brought it up because you know you hear about that every time we have one of these incidents so now we've got on a couple of school psychologists and i wanted to get their thoughts you know on the reality of that 
Couple and, of, and to me, Darius, the teachers that I know, you know, 85% of them, they don't want to mess with it. Um, but at the same, at the end of the day, if a teacher is really trained and has their um, ability to conceal carry, I'm not necessarily against that as well. Got it. A couple of questions on Facebook Live. Inga says, any panelists familiar with SB 1273 passed by the state Senate? Anybody familiar with that? Uh, lots of comments on who should, uh, teachers should be able to carry guns. No, teachers should not be able to carry guns. Uh, and again, uh, people should enlist in the military, should enlist in the military at age of 18. Why can't they carry guns at the age of 18? I think uh, Miguel uh, talked about that. You have to go through a psychological test and rigor background check before you can join the military and carry weapons. Is that correct? No, yeah. I don't believe you have to go through a psychological background. Um, but it's been a while since I've been in the military. So let me ask this question of, of all four panelists. I want to start with Dr. Brock and go to Susan. Should, should we have to go through a psychological test before we can, you know, purchase uh, a, 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 an AR-15, which is a Armalite uh, Rifle 15? Let me start with Dr. Uh, Dr. Brock. Well, if you're asking me as a, a school psychologist, I'll just reflect back on my earlier point about brain development and how um, frontal lobes, the, that part of your brain that controls impulses, not fully mature until age 25. Um, beyond that, that's what I, a school psychologist, can bring to the conversation. After that, it's up to the policy centers. To, to make good laws and you know listen to people like me and make good decisions. Got it. Albert Baker, actually uh, one of our vets who is also a, a GV wire uh, cinematographer says, yes, you do have to go through a psychological test before joining the military. Um, okay, uh, let me go to, okay, Susan has a comment on that and that was gonna to go to council members Arias and Bredefeld. Susan, you have a so quick just, comment? Just one thought about the 18-year-olds and the AR-15s. Um, so when you go into the military, though, you have training, you have guidance, and you have supervision. And you have people that signed up for it voluntarily at this time in our history, <laughs> voluntarily, who are taking those orders and guidance and supervision. That's very different from an 18-year-old kid who just turned 18 and, and is already at risk, we know, and goes out and buys an AR-15 and a few days later commits a tragedy like what happened in Texas. So it's a different situation. And I wish that, that we could wait until 18-year-olds were a little bit older, 21, I'd prefer 25 until their brains aren't half-baked and they're fully done and ready for decision-making where that's concerned. I, I'd like to again say- But I don't, but I do not want to argue with Gary. <laughs> I, I would again say that there are probably tens, if not 20 millions of 18-year-olds that have guns, have rifles, have been firing them, doing so responsibly for lifetimes, long before we've ever had the first mass shooting. The issue isn't the gun. The issue is what's going on in our society that 
has somebody who wants to do this because this didn't exist before. It's not the AR-15. Uh, I would tell you that there's a Ruger Mini 14 rifle. Do you want to ban that as well? Uh, you may not be familiar with the Ruger Mini 14, but it's a rifle. It's a semi-automatic. It uses the same bullet as the AR-15. It's got a 30-round magazine. It just doesn't look scary. So there are. it's not the gun. I know you don't like the gun. It's a popular gun. It's used every day without any problem. But we have this one incident with a lunatic and now people want to take the AR-15, stop 18-year-olds from being able to shoot, and come up with a myriad of reasons. The bottom line is really about taking away people's guns. That's really Thank what it's you. about. And you had the president of the United States say it. We went to nine millimeters today. He wants to take away people's nine millimeters. That's what the left really wants to do. And this is all a smokescreen to take away people's gun rights. That's what it yeah. is. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Uh, Steve, you had a comment. And then Albert again put up Ruger 14 is already banned. I don't know if it's banned in all states or, or not, but uh, Steve, you had yeah. a comment. So Darius, I would like to just for a moment or two get away from the gun part of the conversation. Not that it's not valid or shouldn't be discussed, but I would like to ask uh, Susan and Dr. Brock and, and the council members as well if they have you know some thoughts on this, but you know, and I'm, so I'm just, I may get myself in trouble when I say this, but when I see this kid, Salvador, I see one or two or five photos of him. My brain tells me that there's something wrong with this kid. Okay. Now that, that probably doesn't sound good, but it's just me talking. I'm not trying to represent everybody. Is there a way that at the school, at the schoolyard, in the classrooms, we can get to a point where we have teachers or professionals, mental health professionals that are observing, looking out for these kids that they can engage them. You know, a lot of these, and in a few moments, I'm gonna give some of my thoughts on this deal. A lot of times these kids are come from broken households, uh, households where not great things are happening and they come to school so damaged Sometimes they get picked on. Sometimes they're the ones that pick on others. But my God, to me, there's signals all over the place. What is happening in that world? I, I get the gun thing. And I don't even know if we're going to solve the gun thing tonight. But what about this thing where is there any way to interact and find these kids early and have a relationship with them? I mean, back in my day, uh, teachers were very relational. And I know that many of them strive to be now. Uh, like Miguel said, a lot of things are put on their shoulders, but what about uh, school professionals or including teachers being able uh, to not report these kids? That's not what I want. I want them in relationship with the kids. And so that maybe there's a way of intercepting these problems before they become tragedies. So uh, Dr. Brock, I would love that. you. And Susan? I can talk about that. So I can talk about that. The Ruger 14 is not banned, oh. by the way, Doris. Uh. Okay, got <laughs> it. Susan, Susan, go ahead. Okay, so Steve, you're absolutely right. I mean, we can look at all the factors and there's something we can do with all of them. But if we're just sitting at a school site, looking at kids, talking about kids and how to intervene with them, um, we do know what to do. And we do know how to identify kids that are at risk. Just because the kid's at risk doesn't mean they're gonna go out and shoot up a school. But it, 
often kids that are at risk are going to do other things. They may be suicidal. They may be at risk for um, drug abuse. They may be at risk for harming themselves or hurting themselves. Um, so there are a lot of um, things that we can do. And so we look at a kid who um, has been marginalized and isolated by students, other students, um, and their behavior puts them on the pathway to, to being at risk for violence in the future. That kid is like a cocked gun right there. Add to that the bullets, and I'm just using those symbolically, but add to that the bullets, which are life stressors, um, not having enough food, not having clothes, not having parents that are engaged in supervising, um, sexual and physical abuse, uh, bullying and being rejected, those kinds of stressors, failing school, those are all red flags for um, stressing a kid out who's already on the pathway and at risk. And then finally, a triggering event that happens that sets it all off. Um, I think I read about the, the Texas um, shooter that he had just found out he's not going to graduate from high school or it was just confirmed. And graduation was Friday. He did this um, shooting on a Thursday. So I don't know if that was the triggering event for him. There may have been some others there that had some other meaning for him. The loss of an important person in your life, a romantic breakup, any of these things can be triggering events. We have mm -hmm. to know who those kids are who are at risk and we need to have interventions in our school that are targeted towards those kids and that are strategic in that, that what we do, we know from research has been proven to be effective. So if we're just doing general social emotional um, interventions and they're not tied to the kids we're actually trying to reach, it's not going to be effective. But we do know what we can do. We can also really double down on our safety and make sure that we're following our own plans, which is often not the case because in, in Fresno Unified, we are lax on safety and we could improve quite a bit. And I'm gonna go back to a recent um, incident at Pyle Elementary School, okay? There was no gun in place, but we had a parent who came with a teenage girl and threatened and insulted a teacher in her classroom with her students that she was gonna physically injure her. And um, there are so many things that went wrong with that. And that school right now can't even get a campus safety person approved for the rest of the year, which is a week and a half without using their instructional budget. So we need support from our downtown administrators who are not at schools, but make those decisions. So there's- I would also yeah. like to hear from Dr. Brock as well on that okay. about identify. I mean, like for instance, this kid, Salvador, I mean, this kid, kid uh, on social media is a public venue. This guy's showing a bag of dead cats. He's talking, the students are coming out of the woodwork now, including some of his supposed friends talking about, he'd been uh, doing disturbing behaviors for some time and including making threats, right? I mean, my God, it, can't the school, is there a way that the school can package together some of this public information 
and begin to have relationship with these kids or try to find out what can they can they can do to help these kids uh, they, they make uh, that's a great question for Dr. Brock. Miguel, did you have a quick comment on? Yeah, I just want to point out that in my decade in Fresno Unified, my job was to deal with these cases. And I can tell you that the school staff does a really good job of identifying all those red flags. What kept Fresno Unified in my 13 years in that role from having mass shooting is that the students didn't have access to a tool of mass shooting you know, level. That was the key. Sure, they had a handgun at home with mom and dad. Sure, they had other things, but it is we, we have to address the fact that teenage kids and 18-year-olds have access to the tools that allow mass shooting to occur in rapid fire way before police can show up to stop it. And without that conversation, all you're doing is adding one more layer of responsibility to teachers and school personnel that already are overwhelmed. Again, I don't want to correct you, Miguel, but when you say rapid fire, that's a handgun, a nine millimeter handgun, a 45 millimeter handgun. They could have a, a 10 magazines. We've seen okay. mass shootings with it. The AR-15 is not any different. Than go it's a semi-automatic. Okay, we're gonna to go to Dr. Brock uh, on uh, Steve's question. Yeah. Um, you no have the floor. You and only <laughs> you have the floor. Okay, um, just to both, I, I think I just want to highlight some of the things that both Steve and Susan were saying because they're both nailing it. Um, when I work with Fresno Unified, I've worked with Clovis Unified um, districts previously. The, the message I bring to them is well, first of all, look around the room, pat yourselves on the back, you're doing a good job. We are engaging in actions that result in schools being safer today than they were in years past. Now, what are those actions? It's a combination of physical and psychological safety. Physical, okay. I don't want our schools to turn into prisons with armed guards, but there are common sense things we can and should do to promote physical safety. The, the model we use is called crime prevention through environmental design. Um, it includes access control as a biggie, um, surveillance, natural surveillance, and the concept known as territoriality, wherein students and staff and school committee members have a sense of pride about their school. That, that is a big part of safety and security. Then, Steve, oh my gosh, you are so right on in terms of that connectedness. The literature here, Steve, is so powerful the connectedness that our students have with adults at school. And by connectedness, I mean, students aren't just the name on a roll. There's somebody that adults at school truly know and care about. When we have that in place, all sorts of good things happen. First of all, for those of you really interested in the bottom line of schooling, reading, writing, and arithmetic, first of all, achievement test scores go up. In those schools where students report greater connectedness to adults in school, those schools have higher achievement test scores. But in addition, they have substantially lower rates of suicide attempts. Um, so the literature is clear here. Um, so it's a combination of physical and psychological safety. Steve, you nailed it. Connectedness with adults is a big part of that. But other parts of that, and something I don't think we've talked enough about here today, is suicide prevention. Suicide prevention is a much bigger problem than um, guns in schools. Um, 
it, it, I haven't seen the latest statistics and I'm quite frankly really worried to see them with the physical distancing that we've just emerged from, knowing that isolation and aloneness is one of the more powerful correlates of suicide. Um, but, but it prevents suicide. Um, but anyway, suicide prevention protocols and procedures, which by the way, are now mandated in the state of California. Um, thank you, Governors Brown and Newsom for signing that legislation that required all California public schools to attend to suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention. Um, also, and Susan's mentioned this, um, and Miguel acknowledged it as well, behavior threat assessment and management, um, BTAM for short. Um, and here I hasten to add that it's more than just identifying the student at risk. It's more than just behavior threat assessment. It's behavior threat assessment and management. We must strive to identify those children and youth who are on the edges, who quite frankly might be considering suicide and include them in helpful interventions. Anyway, thank you for letting Great. me. Thank you. Uh, if there are no other comments or questions, we're going to go to closing statements. Uh, anything else from Susan, Gary, or um, Miguel? Any other questions or comments? Because we're a few minutes over. Okay. So with that, let me start with uh, Council Member Redefeld, and then we go to Council Member Arias. And then yeah, to I don't have any problems with uh, many of the things suggested. Uh, in terms of threat assessment and connectedness with uh, young people. I mean, you know, there were people locking down kids uh, out of school for almost two years. And uh, often it's the same politicians that were locking them down that's now uh, concerned about them, yet it's very obvious by locking them out, it was going to increase suicidality, drug addiction, alienation, and all of those things. Bottom line is we had a very disturbed individual uh, who did a hor horrific, unspeakable <clears throat> act. And we have to take a look at ways that we can prevent this, uh, harden targets like this so they're not easy to, to do. Uh, there's obviously a lot of things that went wrong with uh, the police there in terms of stopping this. There shouldn't have been 19 uh, children and two adults killed if the police in this case, and I'm always a supporter of law enforcement, had acted appropriately, and they didn't. Uh, and a lot of more uh, people died as a result. But the answer isn't always uh, the knee-jerk reaction on the left of we must take away guns. We talk about weapons of mass destruction, uh, assault weapons, yes. and these are all false uh, ways to describe uh, these guns. Got this you. is all about taking away people's gun ownership. Uh, we have a Second Amendment right, and that's not going to solve the problem as we've seen in Chicago and other places. Thank you, Gary. Council Member Arias. You know, I would just simply want to be clear with the public. We This year, we struggled to provide the school district 15 SROs for schools. We have nearly 100 vacancies in the police department. If we were to put a, an officer in every school in the city, we're looking at 200 additional officers that we won't have. So nobody should be under the impression that we can put an officer and, you know, um, hard close any school. Secondly, we had, we've had hundreds of mass shootings, hundreds. This isn't about one person, one 18-year-old. We've had hundreds of mass shootings, and we've had several of them in schools where kids are being just completely ma massacred. And lastly, when 9-11 happened, everybody got in the room and figured out how to reform our city, our, our government's operations. 
And that included the Patriot Act, where we took rights away from people that we suspected of terror, sent them to Guantanamo for a long time without an attorney. There is history that when this country is under such threat of a new threat, un, 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 unbeknown to the country, we respond. And we need a 9-11 type of effort to finally take control of these mass shootings. Because it's not okay to put this on teachers or to put this on parents to now walk into a prison for a kindergarten class because some 16-year-old or 18-year-old in Texas should have a right to an AR-15. Thank you, Miguel. Uh, let's go to Dr. Brock and then uh, Susan. And then uh, Steve and I will wrap up. Uh, I think I just gave mine, so um, I'm good. Susan? Okay. Thank you. I think we must generate the courage and determination greater than the current level of apathy. And there is no one magic bullet. It's going to take lots of things, um, connecting with kids, connecting with those kids who are most at risk, managing threats, hardening the target to some extent, and we have a lot of work to do. Our safety plans don't do us any good if we don't actually read them and follow them and practice, that's very important. Okay. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> Thank you, Susan. Uh, Steve? Yeah, Darius, to me, it's unfortunate that uh, the bulk of it has been about gun control, but when people uh, feel like their personal freedoms are being taken away, they get quite serious about it. You know, I own an AR-15, Darius. I, I, I haven't shot mine in three, over three years. I did shoot my nephews about three weeks ago and had a great time connecting with my brother and my nephew. You know, quite frankly, I think Gary's right. Most uh, gun owners are very responsible and quite frankly, very protective of their sport. Um, by the way, this is how I kill flies in my household with, with a rifle. And so, so you know, I'm a, I'm a gun guy, but, but this issue goes much deeper than that, that part of the conversation. When I, if I was to look at these, these kids that have done these tragedies, when I see their photographs, I know something's wrong. And, and, and I, I believe our teachers know that when they're sitting there in the classroom and they only come one or two days a week, they know something's wrong. We've got to find a way of connecting with these children and not just for the tragedies of mass shootings, but also the suicide as Dr. Brock talked about. You know, we're losing a generation of young kids to depressions and all kinds of things that are just happening right in front of our eyes. Now, personally, Darius, I think it goes well beyond government's ability to control. Uh, when I see that these shooters are mostly young men, then that tells me it's not a gun problem because guns are available to women too. It's not a mental health only problem because girl, young girls have mental health issues too. It's a combination of a lot of things. But one thing that I would suggest in my closing comments today is that we're living in a society now of broken homes. And many of these young boys do not have fathers. They're being raised by mothers and that doesn't always backfire. And I know in our, in our audience on Facebook Live, we have a lot of wonderful single mothers, but I'll tell you, it's difficult to replace the father in the life of a developing young man. And now they're at school. Sometimes they're the bully, sometimes they get bullied. They have no guidance. They play video games 12 hours a day unchecked. 
My father would have never allowed that to happen. And so I think there's a lot of contributing factors that go beyond the government's role in fixing. And we are gonna have to step up as adults and demand you know, that our parents get in um, at the school level, get more in, involved in their children. And because just passing it off on the teachers, it's not working. So I think it's a big, it's a lot of heavy lifting. And I think that the United States government or Fresno City Hall or the County of Fresno is unprepared to tackle it. It's something that we need to address in our society through great conversations like we're having tonight. So that's my wrap, Darius. Uh, thank you, Steve. And before I give my wrap, I wanna uh, thank Dr. Brock uh, for joining us tonight and uh, Susan Wittrup and council members Arias and Bredefeld uh, for this uh, really, uh, vigorous debate on uh, which way we should go and how do we deal with uh, these issues in, in our society. Uh, I have my own thoughts uh, on, on where we should go, but tonight as I was listening to this debate, we have two experts here, uh, one, two psychologists that have dealt with this. Dr. Brock has written about this many times, uh, and I agree with the uh, Councilmember Arias on putting together a committee, a nationwide committee, and maybe it's different in each state that addresses these issues. And maybe they're, they're different even by each uh, city or school district. How do we address school safety? We have professionals that have studied this. Dr. Brock has written many books on this, how to deal, deal with these issues. Uh, Susan has witnessed it, has dealt with school uh, kids, students with, with challenges. Uh, and we put the, a few of these folks in, in the room, plus administrators, plus the, the, uh, the, uh, the high up you know, superintendents, et cetera, and, and uh, come up with some solutions, the most cost-effective solutions. These are some of, the, some of my thoughts, uh, the, some of the reading I've done over the last uh, few days. Uh, first of all, we need to modernize security and fencing at schools. I, I believe in that. I, I don't want it to look like prisons. I agree with many of the comments here tonight, but uh, we should, we can have an environmentally attractive, uh, student-friendly uh, protection for, for all of our campuses. Um, again, we do that with our airports and, and courthouses. Why not with our schools? Again, I don't want it to look like prisons. Uh, we should be able to lock down our campuses with one button. Technology is there today. We do that with our homes. We should be able to do that with our with our uh, with our school uh, with our schools. I personally don't believe teachers should be able to, should carry guns. They have enough responsibility at schools to deal with uh, with issues. Uh, having to go through that training it complicates things. We want the best educators. We don't necessarily want them to be security security guards. And finally, the point that Steve brought up, uh, and Dr. Brock and Susan, about you know the essence of it is kids want to have to like to go to school. Uh, they, you know, there's kids that don't have the right parenting, they don't have the right support system at, at home, uh, they don't have the right family unit. Not a lot of kids are from single parent you know, families, and a lot of kids, have, you know, don't even spend time with even their single parent. Um, but working with those students, giving them support person or persons, uh, so that we can identify some of these issues and prevent it uh, you know, before it, hap before it happens. Susan brought up several great points, trigger points on what gets some of these kids, uh, some of these students uh, into picking up a, a weapon, shooting their grandmother in the face, and then shooting all these innocent kids 
in the face. So uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, we should have this debate, but more importantly, besides thoughts and prayers, we should put together a committee to address these solutions so that we don't continue to have these. Even though Dr. Brock said, we have a lot less mass shootings in schools today than we did in 1990 or 1994. This debate will continue. Uh, we will have uh, this panel back on again uh, in, in the coming weeks to discuss other solutions as they come up. And more importantly, uh, we wanna hold our community and our government uh, responsible. What are we doing to solve these problems so that we're not back here in six months with another uh, discussion about another mass uh, school shooting someplace in our country? Thank you, Councilmember Arias. Thank you, Councilmember Bradefeld, Dr. Brock, Susan uh, Wittrup, and my uh, co-host, Steve Brandau. Uh, Mike Carbassi never made it to this evening. So on behalf of all of us at GVWire, have a great week. Be safe. Uh, school graduation is around the corner. Is that correct, Susan? When is that? Uh, yes, I don't have the date, but it's next week. Coming up. Okay. Have a, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you all soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.